This is Billy Carson with ForbiddenKnowledge.tv. Forbidden Knowledge TV has just reached its one-year anniversary. That's right, one year. And as a show of appreciation, we are giving all new subscribers a free 30-day trial of ForbiddenKnowledge.tv. That's 30 days to binge watch thousands of movies, documentaries, conferences, workshops, lectures, yoga classes, meditation courses, and so much more. So log on to ForbiddenKnowledge.tv from your computer or mobile device or get the Forbidden Knowledge TV app on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon, iTunes, or Google Play today and use coupon code 30DAYSFREE. That's coupon code 30 days free on ForbiddenKnowledge.tv today. Live, live, live. What's up? Billy Carson here. Forbidden Knowledge. Welcome to the Forbidden Knowledge podcast live here on YouTube. Hope everybody's doing fantastic. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for waiting. Uh, We are going to be talking tonight about Darwin's theory of evolution, his evolutionary theory Uh, I'm going to be basically debunking that theory, and we're going to talk about some stuff tonight in regards to evolutionists, the mindset of 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 uh, mainstream evolutionists and what they believe and why they believe it. And I'm going to go like I always do, guys. I'm going to go to the ancient tablets and we're going to see what the ancient tablets have to say. And we're also going to go to some geneticists. Uh, you know, quotes, and we're going to see what the geneticists have to say about this as well. All right. Great. So I see people filling up in the chat here. Let me know if you guys can hear my voice. Just give me a shout out in the chat, in the the live chat, just so I can make sure that my voice is coming through crystal clear. All right. Let's see what we got here in the chat. Darian, Kelly X, JR, Laron James, Galactic Cat, All right. Ty, Roger, Dr. Cheryl Carter, Derek Jones, loud and clear. Y'all say, okay. (laughs) He say loud and clear, Esquire. Very soon. I'm waiting on those results. I'm just waiting for those results to come back, man. I'm looking forward to making that press release. 
All right, great. All right, thanks for hanging out, guys. Without further ado, let's get this party started. So tonight I'm going to talk about uh, Charles Darwin. If you don't know who that is, that is the fundamental basis of the theory of evolution that you were taught from elementary school all the way up through high school. And that lie about uh, evolution has been propagated till this very, very day. And unfortunately, what we do as um, well-programmed humans on this planet is we take that that uh, that fake news and then we regurgitate it to our next generation and then they regurgitate it and so forth and so on, you know, just like the whole Noah's Ark, uh, you know, fake news where, you know, two insects, you know, <laughs> two roaches, <laughs> you know, <laughs> And 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 a praying two praying mantis and and and, and you know and, and two ro two rats and, and all this crazy stuff and two bats and they all flew to this ship and got on the ship. I mean, that, and then I, I mean, generations have taught that same story over and over and over and over again. It's just a farce. It's it's ridiculous when you actually find out that. Uh, that the ancient text is totally talking about something different. They actually found the ark of Zizidra, which is his real name. Okay. It's, he's in the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is the true and full story of Noah's Ark. And it wasn't even the dimensions that were given in the biblical text. It was actually around submersible. And he was told to gather samples from around his region and his own livestock. He wasn't told to get all the animals on planet earth to come in, you know, <laughs> two by two, you know, uh, so that, so that, uh, 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 you know, a deer can lay down next to a starving tiger. Come on, man. Ridiculous. Anyway, let's, <laughs> once we start analyzing some of this stuff from pure logic, it starts to become laughable. <laughs> it really becomes laughable, man. You know, I mean, can you can you imagine, you know, uh, it's just two snails got on the boat. They crawled, you know, they made it just in time. Two snails. They just made they just they just made it right before the door closed on the on the uh, ark. Come on, man. Uh, the Ark was most likely a, uh, a DNA bank of some sort, uh, you know, and that was used by Enki, who was actually Zizudra's father. Ea Enki was his father. And uh, he, he most likely, the reason why he saved him, of course, is because it was his blood, it was his offspring, according to the text. And his brother and Lil got really pissed off because he wanted everybody wiped out. But Ea Enki saved his own son. You know, which any father probably would have done. All right. It's probably a DNA bank is most likely what it was. And Enki stored some stuff, some DNA on that boat, on that arc, that round arc, not not a rectangular, gigantic arc with the dimensions in the Bible. But the original ones based off of the the tablets with all the dimensions and everything else. This was just discovered actually recently, probably no more than eight years ago uh, or less. This was discovered. And um you know, so that once the flood waters would reside, Ea Enki, who was known in the Sumerian tablets as a master geneticist, would go and take those genetic samples and recreate. In the tablets, they call it fashioning. They would fashion lambs. They would fashion uh, wildebeest. They would fashion animals. They would fashion. In other words, they're they're cloning them or genetically making them in some way, shape, or form through uh, some type of science. They're they're bringing these these animals to fruition, to, to life. Pretty incredible stuff. 
But anyway, we're going to go through some of that stuff today. So I'm going to share my screen a little bit today and we're going to get right into it. Let me <clears throat> see if I can find this window. I want to go to this PowerPoint. I want to kind of start off with that first. All right. Where's the audio button on this thing? Let's see here. Hold on. Okay. Show audio system window. <clears throat> now let me start this slideshow. Just a brief slideshow. Nothing major. You guys know I like slides because I like people to be able to go back and there's enough keywords in the stuff that I'm talking about uh, that you can literally take those words and you can screenshot some of the stuff and you can look it up for yourself. <clears throat> so I take all the mystery out of this stuff. I'm not one of these guys that's going to sit up here and tell you all this came off the top of my head. Uh, and, and the reason why is because I want every single person to become a researcher. I want you to get out there and learn. I want you to study. I want you to dig deep deeper than you ever dug before. Find out what the hell is going on on this planet. Where did we go wrong? One of the biggest places that we went wrong is uh, the Darwinism, right? Darwinism, Darwin's evolutionary theory. And so this theory is really, um, it, it's it stopped us from advancing into different sciences and understanding biology in a way that can literally advance us as a human species on this planet genetically. And, um, unlock a lot of the things that were done to us. Now, the people, the powers that be know this, which is why they've kept this information propagating through time, all this fake news. So Charles Darwin, born February 12th, 1809 in Shrewsbury, uh, Shrewsbury, England. He died in April, April 19, 1882. So he just died. His anniversary of his death was just a few days ago, as we are just now in April uh, uh, in 2022. Right. Pretty interesting. He was an English naturalist whose scientific theory of evolution by natural selection became the foundation of modern evolutionary studies. Darwin at first shocked the religious Victorian society by suggesting that animals and humans shared a common ancestry. However, his non-religious biology appealed to the rising class of professional scientists. And by the time of his death, evolutionary imagery had spread through all of science, literature, and politics. Darwin himself was an agnostic. <laughs> now, interesting here, he was an agnostic, which is pretty interesting. Uh, you know, you, you learn a lot about those when you when you read the non-commodity scripts and what the belief systems are there. Pretty interesting what an agnostic is. If you haven't looked that up before, it's pretty interesting. You should take some time to look that up. But what's pretty cu curious to me here is the fact that Religion was dominating the planet already in the uh, 1800s, right? And uh, well, that was due to the papal inquisitions. It was literally, you know, forced on the planet uh, through Rome and, what's, and it got adopted everywhere. And so even with that heavy religious um, mindset, he comes with this thing that actually contradicts biblical texts. And even the Christians adopted. <laughs> this is the craziest. This planet is crazy, man. You know, I mean, sometimes I <laughs> sometimes I scratch my head. I mean, are you in it or are you not in it? Are you a Christian or are you not? Christian? I mean, which what are you? Come on. You know, Christians. Uh, I, I remember going to school and my teacher that was teaching us this Darwin garbage in, in elementary school at Rainbow Park Elementary. Never forget it. She has on this cross. OK, this cross, Miss Alvarez. 
Um, you know, <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, this lady believes this stuff and she believes in Jesus at the same time. I mean, you know, I mean, at a young age, I knew this was foolishness. It was absolute garbage. You know, a, a single cell organism turned into a fish and then eventually the fish decided to want to grow legs and come on land. So it grows legs and then it comes land and, it's, and it, 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 it goes from gills to lung. I mean, come on, this is ridiculous, right? But anyway, this is the, this is the planet that we're on. That's why I rant on this kind of stuff. It just kills me. Darwin formulated his bold theory in private in 1837 to 1839. After returning from a voyage around the world aboard the HMS Beagle, which was a ship. But it was not until two decades later that he finally gave it full public expression in a book called The Origin of Species, which you can see the book right here. All right, I have a copy of this book. I had to get it just to see for myself what the heck this guy was thinking. A book that has deeply influenced modern Western society and thought. This guy's book was so deep that it, 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 it allowed Christians to adopt it as their own belief system, even though they believe in the Bible. Not all Christians. I don't get me wrong. Not all Christians. Let me make that straight. But the majority. And it leaked into politics. It's in, it's in everything. It's in everything. You know, and what's interesting is you very rarely see a teacher stand up and say, you know, well, I'm not teaching this because this is malarkey. This is garbage. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense based on the current science data we have right now. No, they just keep teaching it. Just keep teaching it. His theories like this, you know, 400 million years ago, almost, you know, there's a fish. Now, this fish obviously evolved from prim primordial soup. So when the earth was forming and it was in its primordial stages and there were these these uh, these like little lake beds of organic material, um, you know, with. Uh, proteins and this and that in them and um, amino acids and then lightning strikes one of these pools and somehow that spark with the lightning and the amino acids and the uh, you know and the proteins and everything else it sparks life in some magical way and so it starts off as you know amoebas or single cell organisms and then gradually I guess the cell decides you know what I need, I think I need to be a fish now and it just turns into a fish over time right and then it gradually, you know, the fish says, you know what? I think I want to get legs. I want to see what's out there on the other on the land. And it, it grows legs and eventually it comes up <clears throat> almost like a salamander type of a thing. And then from there, you know, he doesn't know explanation of how these salamanders turn into monkeys. And then the monkeys gradually turn into people. All right. <clears throat> it's laughable. OK, it's when you understand genetics and you understand, um, you know, basic just basic life sciences, basic biology. This is this becomes almost laughable. Then we have the Lucy enigma. All right, Lucy. Lucy was a, a hominid discovered, um, and so Lucy was found by Donald Johansson and Tom Gray on November twenty fourth in nineteen seventy four. Pretty recent. At the site of Hadar in Ethiopia, I was I was a little toddler when this happened. I was a little kid when this happened. They had taken a Land Rover out that day to map in another locality. Uh, another long, hot morning of mapping and surveying for fossils. They decided to head back to the vehicle. Johansson suggested taking an alternate route back to the Land Rover through a nearby gully. Within moments, he spotted a right proximal ulna, which is a forearm bone, uh, and he quickly identified it as a hominid. 
Shortly thereafter, he saw an occipital uh, bone, which is, you know, the bone right here underneath the eye socket. This is your occipital, right? And uh, and then a femur, which we know what that is. That's in the leg, right? Some ribs and a pelvis and lower right jaw. Two weeks later, after many hours of excavation, screening, and sorting, several hundred fragments of bone had been recovered, representing 40% of a single hominid skeleton. And so this is Lucy here on the left. Now they've extrapolated and created a face for this thing. And it looks like a monkey person. They put hair all over the body and all this. They have no idea what this uh, being looked like. They just know that they did walk up, right? And it was a woman based, a female based off of its bone structure, right? So in the pelvis. And, and so um, it was an upright hominid. Now, We've found dozens of upright hominids on this planet of various different types. There's been different types of hominids uh, that can walk upright, bipedal, bilateral hominids on this planet for a very, very, very long time. This is just one of the ones that they found that they believe may be one of the oldest. They found this in Ethiopia. Uh, and uh, no matter where you go on this planet, you'll find that there were hominids, upright walking hominids on this planet all around the same time. So I don't want to take any glory away from Lucy, but Lucy is nothing special. And Lucy definitely didn't come from an ape. They're trying to say that this this links us back to the monkeys because the apes because because, you know, it's an upright, but it's a, the skull is smaller and the and the body is different and the, the nose and the, the mouth and the jawline is different. So this connects us. This is this jump between apes and humans. No, false, false. This planet was so colorful in deep antiquity millions of years ago there were all kinds of hominids on this planet why nobody can really truthfully answer that question but the bones and the skulls have been found all over this planet no matter where you go you'll find them i mean they found even in some remote island they found little tiny uh what we call hob hot with hoblets or whatever these little tiny beings were anatomically correct but they were only an average of three feet tall. So they found them too, right? And so there's all kind of strange things going on in deep antiquity for whatever reason. Well, I'm going to tell you why. The reason is why this version of hominid won out, this, this homo sapiens sapien that we are, it was because we were directed and given the opportunity to work out and be the dominant race on the planet. And the reason why might, it, you know, depending on your mindset, it might disturb you a little bit. So, um, you know, let's look at Genesis four. Uh, well, you know what, before I go into Genesis four, let me go into this other, let me go into the Enumi. Let me go into the Atrahasis epic for one second. Hold on guys. Let me go into Atrahasis. Let me do that real quick. Okay. Because I want to show you something. I want to read this to you. So let me go back to my share screen. I see what it is. I want to read the, the Epic of Atrahasis. Just a few important lines because you really need to understand the origins of a lot of this information. And let me give you the real skinny on where hominids came from. Share screen. Let's go back to where it all started. Okay, because now we're going back. This time period here, the Epic of Atrahasis which is really the epic of Zizudra, which is actually Noah. But this story is deep, deep, super ancient before, before Zizudra and uh, of where I'm reading here. 
Uh, and you can get this tablet. This is this is a translated Sumerian cuneiform tablet that was translated long before Zachariah Sitchin was even born. So I don't want to hear anybody complaining about Zachariah Sitchin translated this. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. George Smith translated this before Zachariah Sitchin was even a sperm in his daddy's sex. OK, so let's throw that one out the window right away for, for all those crazy people that want to hit, hit on Zachariah Sitchin. Zachariah Sitchin never translated any Sumerian tablets. He didn't translate anything. All he used was existing translations that were done long before he was born. That was all fake news, too. People talking about he, he's the only one who could translate the tablets. And he's trying to make all this stuff up. No. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Sorry, guys. In my, a lot of my lectures and workshops, I named three or four prominent scholars that had translated the Sumerian tablets long before Zachariah Sitchin even existed. All right. So anyway, with that being said, I'm going to talk to you about uh, this tablet here, the tablet of the covenant. Now this tablet of the covenant, let me set this up for you. The EGG are also Anunnaki's. These Anunnaki's were working on Mars, the moon, and also on earth doing hard labor. According to the tablets, this is not Billy Carson saying this, this is the tablet saying this. They were getting pissed off because the labor was too hard. They were laboring for 250,000 years. Right. I don't know how many generations of them that was, but they call a year one shar and one shar is thirty six hundred years. So when thirty six hundred years goes by on Earth, that's one year for these people. That's how they measure time. But anyway, so I'm going to pick it up from there. Let's look at what happened to the EGG because they were being forced to work like slaves and they was getting pissed off. So the tablet says when the gods instead of man did the work, bore the loads, the gods load was too great. The work too hard, the trouble too much. The great Anunnaki, and by the way, Anunnaki is in the Sumerian tablets and the cuneiform tablets. There's a lot of people who try to say that word never existed. Oh, I'm sorry, guys. Here it is right here. Straight out of the British Museum. <clears throat> Trouble too much. The great Anunnaki made the Ijiji carry the workload sevenfold. So they're saying that the great Anunnaki, in other words, the kings of the earth and the kings of this region, which were Enki and Lil. Uh, Anu, right? These the the higher ranking gods, so to speak. They were uh, putting a lot of work on these people, making them create all the waterways and everything else. And their father was king. Their counselor warrior Enlil. Their chamberlain was Ninurta. Their canal controller Enugi. They took the box of lots and cast the lots. The gods made the division and went up to the sky. And Enlil took the earth for his people. Okay, now think about this. They basically drew they drew straws to see who was going to get to uh, run over rule over the earth and who was going to get to to rule over the sky. Okay, what are they going up in the sky with? Well, I'll tell you what they're going up in the sky with some kind of ship. The boat which bars the sea was assigned to far sighted Enki. Enki was the lord of the sea. You know, he's Poseidon in the Greeks in the Greek mythology. When, uh, when Anne, as I knew, that's the father of them, had gone up to the sky, he mostly wanted to rule from the sky. He didn't like being on earth. And the gods of the Abzu had gone below. That's uh, Africa, South Africa, uh, the uh, marshland. They had built an underground base right there. If you read deeper into this, is just a small part of the text. But to tell you what the Abzu is, that's where they the gods had to dig it out. And they dug out canals and to clear channels, the lifelines of the land. The gods dug out the Tigris River. So the Tigris River is made by hands, by machines, by people actually digging. 
in another part of the text, it says they use the machine which crunches and crushes to dig out these riverbeds and then dug out the Euphrates. So the Euphrates rivers also dug out and it's actually a form of terror. It's like terraforming or, you know, you know, uh, farming on a higher level. In the deep, they set up the abzu of the land and roofed it at the mountains. They were counting the years of loads. For 3,600 years, they bore the excess. Hard work, night and day. They groaned and blarned each other, grumbled over the mass masses of excavated soil. They were working so hard, they were really getting pissed, and they were really starting to like have these conversations like, you know what, man, this is this is messed up. Like they got us out here doing all this hard labor like we're slaves or something. We're like volunteers. You know, we ain't getting paid right for this. That's the mindset that they had. So one of these Egyptians said, let us confront our Lord, the Chamberlain, and get him to relieve us of our hard work. Come, let us carry the Lord, the counselor of gods, the warrior from his dwelling. Come, let us carry Enlil, the counselor of gods, the warrior of, from his dwelling. So they're saying, man, we about to go face to face with these people, with our rulers, our kings, whatever these people are. But we're going to go face to face with them and tell them this is unacceptable. Like we're, we're, you're working us to death. We're exhausted. We're tired. We don't want to continue to do this work. We're mining all these planets. We're mining for resources. We're digging this and we're digging that. We're creating, doing all, building all your cities. And we're getting no reward for this. We're not even getting a rest or a break. And, and you're increasing the workload on us. You're giving us... Um, deadlines and you and then you're dropping those deadlines back when you read this text you'll if you read the whole thing you'll find out what i'm talking about so they want to confront them face to face then gabil made his voice heard and spoke to the gods his brothers come let us carry the counselor of the gods a warrior from his dwelling let us carry enlil the counselor of the gods the warrior from his dwelling now cry battle let us mix fight with battle so they're ready to have a coup against their their uh, their rulers, right? That's what they're going to do. They're ready to have a coup. So the gods listened to his speech, set fire to their tools, put aside their spades for fire, their loads for the fire god. They flared up when they reached the gate of the warrior and Lil's dwelling. This happened in South Africa at a place called Adam's Calendar, by the way. It was the night, the middle watch. The house was surrounded. The God had not realized. So Enlil was in there chilling. He didn't even know he was, his house was surrounded by his own people getting ready to attack. It was the night, the middle watch, Ikur was surrounded. Enlil had not realized yet. Kalkal, Enlil's gate master, was attentive. He had the gate closed. He held the lock and watched the gate. Kalkal roused Nusku. They both listened to the noise of the Ijiji. Then Nusku roused his master made him get out of bed. My Lord, your house is surrounded. A rabble is running around your door. And Lil, your house is surrounded. The Ijiji are running around your door. And Lil had weapons brought to his dwelling. And Lil made his voice heard and spoke to uh, Vizor Nixu. Nusku, bar your door. Take up your weapons and stand firm in front of me. Nusku barred his door, took up his weapons, and stood in front of Enlil. Nusku made his voice heard and spoke to the warrior Enlil. Oh, my lord Enlil, your face is uh, sallow and tamarisk. Why do you fear your own sons? Send for, an, send for Anne, that's Anu, 
to be brought down to you. Have Enki fetch into your presence, into your presence. In other words, he's saying, go get a new, your dad, and go get Enki, your brother, and bring him over here. We got to talk. He sent for Anne to be brought down to him, down to him because Anne rules from the sky. He's in a ship. Enki was fetched into his presence. Uh, Anne, king of the sky, was present. Enki, king of the Abzu, attended. The great Anunnaki were all present. And Nil got up and the case was put. And Nil made his voice heard and spoke to the great gods. Is it against me that they have risen? Shall I do battle with them? What did I see with my own eyes? A rabble was running around my door. And made his voice heard and spoke to the warrior Enlil. So, you know, Enlil's talking to his brother and his dad like, what should we do? Should we should we go to war against these people? I mean, can you believe what they've done to us? Can you believe they have the, the gall to walk around and, 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 and challenge us? Let Nusku go out and find out the word of the Ijiji who have surrounded your door. Enlil made his voice heard and spoke to the vizier Nusku. Nusku, open your door, take up your weapons and stand before me in the assembly of the gods. Bow, then stand and tell them your father, Anne, your council warrior, Enlil, and your chamberlain, Ninurta, and your canal controller, Inugi, have sent me to say, who is in charge of this rabble? Who is in charge of this fighting? Who declared war? Who ran uh, to the door of Enlil? Nusku opened his door and took up his weapons, went before Enlil, in all the assembly of gods, he bowed. He, then he stood and delivered Enlil's message. Then Gabil, leader of the Ijiji revolt, made his voice heard and spoke to Nusku. Every single one of us gods declare war. We have, we have put a stop to the digging. The load is too excessive. It is killing us. Our work is too hard. The trouble too much. So every single one of us gods has agreed to complain to Enlil. Now notice that they call themselves gods as well. Because they themselves were not slaves, even though they were being ran as slaves. This was the problem. Nusku took his weapons, went and returned to Enlil. There Nusku delivered the answer to, of the Ijiji. Enlil listened to his speech. His tears flowed. Enlil spoke guardedly, addressed the sky king, Anne. That's his dad. Noble one, take a decree with you to the sky. Show your strength while the Anunnaki are sitting before you. Call up one rebellious god and let them cast him before destruction so he's saying dad take 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 their leader and kill him in front of everybody so they can see we ain't playing around over here show them what's up show them we ain't about tell them we want the smoke that's what he's saying and made his voice heard and spoke to the gods his sons what are we complaining of their work was indeed too hard their trouble was too much every day the earth resounded with their groans and cries the warning signal was loud enough we kept hearing the noise we ignored them they have every right to revolt and complain to the house of Enlil. Enlil was enraged with his father's answer. Enlil was one of the most evil people that ever was on this planet. Enlil, by the way, is known as a couple names. He's also Yahweh in the modern day Bible. He's also uh, Satan in some text, the Lord of Eden, right? Yes, yeah, Satan. That's, that's Enlil. Then far-sighted Enki stepped in and offered a wise solution to the trouble. Enki made his voice heard and spoke to the gods, his brothers. Why are we blaming them? Their work was too hard. Their trouble too much. Every day the earth resounded with their groans and cries. The warning signal was loud enough. We kept hearing the noise, but we ignored them. There is an answer to this problem. Now listen very carefully, guys. That's where I'm going with all this. 
Noble Anne, call forth Blati, the womb goddess, into your presence. This is a, you know, they're into this genetic stuff, like I told you. When Belatili, the womb goddess, is present, let her create offspring. Let her create a mortal man so that he may bear the yoke, the work of Enlil. Let man bear the load of the gods. Now, this is where we're going, guys. You want to find out where Homo sapiens arrived on the scene? We're going to go over that. They called up the goddess, asked the midwife of the gods, wise mommy. Wise mommy is also uh, is well known in the Egyptian uh, mythology as well. Uh, she is the Egyptian deity with the, the, the cow head. Okay. You are the womb goddess to be the creator of mankind. Create a mortal that he may bear the yoke. Let him bear the yoke. I mean, so let him do all this hard labor out here. Right. Make them slaves. Let him bear the, the work of Enlil. Let man bear the load of the gods. Nintu made her voice heard and spoke to the great gods. It is not proper for me to make him. Let the work, let that work of Enki's, let that work be Enki's. In other words, Enki was, she was saying, I don't want to be the one who does this. Let Enki, Enki is the master geneticist. He's in charge of that. Let him do this, this creation thing. Or let him do this genetic modification. It is not proper that I should make a mortal slave. I shall create a co-worker, a co-creator. This is Ninurta, their sister. But I will not make a slave. This is a, this is an internal fight going on between these people now, right? These Anunnaki. This is the work of Enki. He must make everything pure. If Enki gives me the clay, then I will do it. Enki made his voice heard and spoke to the great gods. Wise mommy, mother of gods, your sons, your wisdom, is noted and shall be made to pass. On the first, seventh, seventeenth, and fifteenth of the month, I shall make a purification by washing. Then one Anunnaki god should be chosen for sacrifice, and the gods can be purified by immersion. Nintu shall mix clay with his flesh and blood. Now, what they're talking about here is taking one of these Anunnaki beings and sacrificing some of their DNA, taking some of their blood, okay? And mixing the blood with something that they call clay, which is something that they're doing. in a, And obviously, it, 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 these are a basic word for something that's going on in a laboratory setting. They're going to mix clay with flesh and blood. So this is obviously uh, a very mundane, um, basic way of saying that they're doing something that's uh, a little bit more sophisticated, but so that the average person can grasp it. Because a lot of the high tech words didn't exist in ancient Sumeria you know, a couple hundred thousand years ago. These, these Mesopotamia, I'm sorry, didn't exist yet. So, all right. So he says, uh, Nintu shall mix clay with his flesh and blood. Then a God, a man, will be mixed together in clay. Let us hear the drumbeat of his heart forever after. Let a ghost come into existence from the God's flesh. Let her proclaim it is a living sign and let the ghost exist as so that it's not to forget the slain God. So that means the same thing as let us make man in our image. So what they're doing is they're taking, they took an existing hominid, which you can read deeper into this in the Enumi Elish, because it goes over the same thing, but it goes a little bit deeper. There was already people on this planet that were here that they didn't interact with. They weren't, as, they weren't like us right now today. <clears throat> these were probably our cousins. <clears throat> but they took these people and uh, they took them out of the wilderness and they began to genetically modify them with their own DNA and created this smorgasbord of 
genetics. In other words, it was like um, uh, creating uh, something called a zygote in modern uh, science. We, we create a zygote. And so where you could take an egg from a womb of, of like, you know, an existing hominid, you can clean out some of the genetic material. You can mix your genetic material in there from somebody else and you can plant an egg in another woman. And that woman can actually go to term and have that baby. This is what we can do today. Right. It's a zygote through in vitro fertilization. And so that's modern science. Well, they were doing this all the way back then. On the first, 17th and 15th of the month, Anki made a purification by washing. Just to eat a pure young God who had intelligence. They slaughtered in their assembly. Nintu mixed clay with the, his flesh and blood. They heard the drum beat forever after a ghost came into existence from the God's flesh. And Nintu proclaimed it as a living sign. The ghost existed so none would forget the slain God. So in other words, this clone person of this God looked just like this guy. So when it when it developed, it looked just like this. Um, this uh, what's his name there? His name was um, Gesh, Jesh, Jesh, uh, Jestui. So this person looked just like Jestui. Uh, so she called up the Anunnaki, the great gods, the Ejiji, the great gods, spat spittle upon the clay. Mommy made her voice heard and spoke to the great gods. I have carried out perfectly the work that you ordered of me. You've sacrificed a God together with his intelligence. I have relieved you of your hard work. I have imposed your load upon man, but only as a co-worker, not a slave. You see the intention here was not to create a slave. You would have bestowed noise and woe upon mankind, but I have undone the fetter and granted freedom. This was the decree from Ninurta. They listened to his speech, to this speech of hers, and they were freed from anxiety. They fell down and kissed her feet. We used to call you mommy, but now your name shall be mistress of all gods. Farsighted Enki, a wise mommy, went into the room of fate. The womb goddess were, uh, were, assembled, or were assembled. Enki trod the clay in her presence. Mommy kept reciting the incantation for Enki, staying in her presence made her recite it. When she had finished her incantation, she pinched off 14 pieces of clay and set seven pieces on the right, seven pieces on the left. Between them, she put down a mud brick. She made use of a reed, split it open so that it was sharp to cut the umbilical cords. She called up the wise, knowledgeable womb goddess, seven and seven. Seven created males, seven created females. For the womb goddess is the creator of fate. Enki paired them two by two. He paired them two by two in her presence. This was the first attempt, guys, to create human beings, mankind, from uh, genetic modifications. Okay, thank you, DJ Quicko, for the uh, for the donation. And so, what's interesting here is these were clones. You see how they did these? They made these clones. They they used the genetic genetic material from an existing hominid from one of their own people. And then they made these genetically modified uh, beings, but they didn't use real wombs. They used artificial wombs. This is the beginning stage. And the problem that they had with these, like I can't read all this text to you tonight, obviously <laughs> we'd be here for hours. But the problem that they had with these was that these, these beings, they couldn't mate with each other. They couldn't, um, they couldn't actually uh, reproduce. They could mate, but they couldn't have babies. They weren't getting pregnant. That was the biggest problem that they had. 
So it was like, damn, we got to keep cloning these. We got to keep doing this over and over and over and over again to keep creating this workforce so we can keep these EGG happy so they don't come attack us because they outnumber us. There's more of them than us. They got more weapons than we have. And so what we got to do is we got to make these people happy. So they, they started this whole cloning project that they kept, they started doing with this same exact thing that I just read in the Afro Hasis epic. Okay. And they kept doing it over and over again. They were having a lot of failures with, uh, genetic defects, people dying too soon. Um, you know, all this crazy stuff, but they had created a lot of people, a lot of people. They just couldn't get them to reproduce properly. Much later, ISIS takes, um, uh, takes one of these uh, one of these zygote eggs and you know puts it in her womb and carries it to term. She actually has a baby. Okay, she actually does it. Let me see if I can get to that real quick. Let's take a quick look at that. This is a famous cylinder scroll that is in the I believe it's in the British Museum. Let me see if I can pull it up real quick. Let me go back in here. Slide from current slide. Here it goes. How do we get to Homo sapiens sapien? So they went through this cloning thing. It was it was working out because it was creating workers to work and do the load and take the pressure off of them. But at the same time, they knew that to do what they really want to do, this ultimate mission of 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 um of you know pretty much terraforming this entire planet, it would it would take millions of people. So ISIS here, you can see ISIS here in this scroll. It's a trace of the scroll here on the right. She's holding the Adamu. This is called the Adamu. So in text on this scroll, it says, uh, my hands have made it. Okay. And she named this being the Adamu. This is the first perfectly created, genetically created Homo sapiens sapien based on what they, the, 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 what they wanted it to be, which is actually us now today. Okay. And so she gave birth to the first Adamu. She held it in her own womb instead of a cloning thing. And she gave birth out of her own womb and it took 10 months gestation period, according to their tab, the tablets, 10 months, not nine. And she gave birth to the Adamu, which means first man. Uh, and so uh, you, you can see Adam is here being born. But prior to him, for hundreds, maybe even thousands of years, people had already been on the planet through the cloning process. So there were already people here, bilateral, bipedal hominids that looked like humans and we lo- look like them except that uh, we had some more genetic differences to, in order to become um, what they consider to be the perfect man, where uh, we had the ability to follow the orders. They started a worship gene and all that kind of stuff. And they, um, you know, they found that we can reproduce on our own. So they don't have to keep using the cloning techniques, which made it a lot easier on them, a lot less work for them. And we can reproduce 10 times faster. So that's what it was. So this is why they did, th- did it this way. And so, you know, ISIS becomes it becomes the the generations of ISIS. That's Adam. That's when you get Genesis, Genesis. The book of Genesis is what you're looking at in the Bible. Those are the generations of ISIS. If you look in Genesis four, I'm going to show you how there were people already on this planet. Genesis four. The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me. He's talking. He's talking to Cain, right? Because Cain killed Abel in the Garden of Eden. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield crops for you. 
you will be restless and a wanderer on earth. Okay. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Now, the Lord in this Genesis is actually Enlil. Yeah, Enlil, the same one that wanted to go ahead and go to war against his own people because they were complaining about the workload. That was just the beginning of showing the showcase how evil this dude was. Much later in the text, he's killing humans because they're talking too much and all kind of crazy stuff. But anyway, <clears throat> so uh, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Well, he obviously knows about, about death, number one. So a lot of people have been teaching for all these years in the Bible, the Bible study and all this. The first recorded death in history is when Cain killed his brother. Fake news. Sorry, fake news. No, they didn't even read the Bible. Did they read this book? Did they even read this book? Cain says right here, the people out there are going to kill me. So Cain, this is what they teach you in Bible study. You had Adam, Eve, Cain, and Abel. All right. That's four people. Now, all of a sudden, we find out that there's people on the planet and Cain knows about them. And he knows that they have the ability to kill people, too. He knows that they can kill. He knows about murder. He knows about it before he killed his brother. Killing his brother wasn't something he just thought of in his brain. He already had experience. He's seen it happening all around him. He said, the people out there are going to kill me. So there's people already on Earth before Adam and Eve. I just proved it to you through text. OK. But the Lord said to him, not so. Nah, I ain't going to let that happen to you, bro. Don't worry, I got you. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. The Lord put a mark on Cain. He put a genetic mark on him so that no one who found him will kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and he lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. That's where he began to grow that whole Canaanite civilization. Okay, then he, that Canaanite civilization migrated all the way to the North Americas. It's evidence of the Canaanites in the Americas. That's a whole other podcast. Anyway, uh, he put a marker on him. Now, they will tell you he put some kind of scar on his face and all that. No, it's a genetic marker. And we're going to talk more about that in a minute. Cain made love to his wife. Oh, his wife out there already. So you see, like I told you guys, there was already millions of people on earth before, before Adam was even born. Cain made love to his wife. And she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Enoch. Enoch was mentioned in the Bible, high esteem. But his book is not in the Bible because he's talking about aliens and spaceships and making weapons. So they didn't put that book in the Bible. But you can buy the book. You can buy the text. It's available. The only Bible that has the book of Enoch in it is the Ethiopian Bible. You know, Cain was then building a city and he named it after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Erad, and Erad was the father of Mehujel, and Mehujel was the father of Methusahel, and Methusahel was the father of Lamech, and it goes on and on and on and on, right? These are all the generations of Isis. Interesting stuff, interesting stuff. But what happens? People were living for thousands of years back then, thousands, okay? All of a sudden, at the Tower of Babel incident, which you've heard me talk about before, we have this situation where they want to short mankind. Anlil's like, you know, these people are living too long. They're doing too much. They're, they're, they're just doing too much. They learn how to build towers. They're trying to copy everything we do. They're they're multiplying so fast that they're outnumbered us by, by multitudes. 
I mean, if they decide to turn on us, there's nothing we can do about it. You know what? We got to make them die sooner. They're living too long. And 120 years. We give them 120, like the Bible says, 120. That was in the Sumerian tablets. So they took chromosome number two out. They fused it together and they put telomere caps. You see these telomere right here on the end? These telomere caps on the end of the DNA? They capped that sucker. They say, you know what? When this cap runs out of genetic material, they're going to die. We'll set, set this timer to 120. Boom. 120 comes. You're dead. You're dead on average. Now, with the way they got us now with pharmaceutical companies and chemicals and and uh, smog and and uh, all this other crazy stuff they got going on, toxic air and toxic water and that toxic everything. They got us down to 75, 80 years now. They're doing a real good job on us. A real good job. Commercial break. <laughs> Black Knight Satellite documentary premiering June 5th. June 5th at Imagine Royal Oak. That's at 200 North Main Street, Royal Oak, Michigan. You can get your tickets on eventbrite.com or go to forbiddenknowledge.com. Click on the uh, events and you'll be able to get your ticket. The tickets are still going to be on Eventbrite. You can come out there. We're going to be live. Red carpet event. Uh, some of the talent from the documentary the researchers will actually be there, the scientists and so forth, the producer that produced with me, the director, everybody will be there. We'll take pictures on the red carpet together. I'll be speaking for about an hour and we'll watch the documentary in a movie theater, the Black Knight Satellite documentary, The Untold Story. You don't want to miss it. Alex Teplis, Roderick Martin, Jamie Janover, Freddie Silver, Richard Dolan, Thomas Jensen, Duncan Lunan, Johnny Enoch, Chris Maroney, Eric Von Daniken, Jimmy Church, Sonia Grace, and Steve Mera. Don't miss it, guys. It's going to be an amazing. And guess what? This documentary is about the Black Knight. The Black Knight satellite. The Black Knight satellite is linked to Enlil from ancient Sumeria, and I cover that in the documentary. If you want to get free workshops, make sure you scan this QR code and get, sign up for all of my free workshops. There's more workshops coming for the rest of this year. I think there's seven more to go. Sign up and get access to all my workshops free, or go to Eventbrite.com. And type in Billy Carson, they should pop right up. And don't forget to invest with Forbidden Knowledge. You can earn and learn at the same time. All right. So round two is not open, but round two is closing very soon. Make sure you go to ForbiddenKnowledge.com and sign up to get your shares. Well, they're only a dollar fifty because when we go to round three, who knows what can happen? We know from round one they were a dollar. Round two they were a dollar fifty, and round three let's see what these shares are appraised at uh, at that time from the CPA the accounting firm, the attorneys and the SEC. Okay. So we're moving guys. Don't be, don't, don't, don't miss out on this great opportunity. Uh, you know, we are looking to take this company public within the next six to eight months. So if you have any idea or understanding of what that means, now is the time to get in. It's a ground floor opportunity. All right, let's get back to the talk. Okay. So the rulers spread out all over the earth. So I'm going to go and read a little bit from, for you from the, um, I need to read for you from the Emerald Tablets real quick. So let me stop sharing this screen. We'll come back to this in a second. And let me go and find this uh, this Emerald Tablet uh, script here. I want to find that real quick because it's really important to, uh, to understand. Where in the world is that Emerald Tablet at? Let me see. That's Archer Hasis. I wonder if I put it up on this screen here. Give me one second, guys. I want to find the Emerald Tablets. And I want to read from it real quick. I got it in my, my book is too far away to rock to. I'm just going to try to see if I can pull up a copy. 
of these particular verses here um, online. So give me one second. I'll pull them up real quick and then we'll go. I want to read something to you because it's really important. It is pertaining exactly to what we're talking about right here. Okay. Pull these up real quick. Boom, boom. Really important stuff here. All right. So now, okay, I'm going to go to tablet one from the Emerald Tablets of Thoth. And, uh, okay, here we go. I'm going to cut and paste this here into a, uh, a notepad. Okay, got it up. Now let me share my screen so you guys can see it at the same time. Back here. And I'll reshare my screen again. Let me read from the Emerald Tablets of Thoth. Because I want you to understand how people got spread around the planet. And I want you to understand how come people are different races. Okay. This text might be hard to read because it's very, very um, uh, small text or it's very uh, thin text on your screen. But if, I'm in a notepad. But Thoth is sent to, I kind of went over a little bit of this last week, I believe. He sent out to the land of Kem to help re-kickstart civilization on Earth. And he's dealing with what he calls the hairy barbarians. And uh, he's trying to bring them back to a higher level of civilization. Let's see what happens here. Call, call to me them, the master, saying, gather ye together my people. So Thoth's dad is telling him, who's actually Enki, he's telling Thoth, get together your crew. Get our people together, right? Our Atlantean and Anunnaki people. Get them all together. Take them by the arch ye have learned of far across the waters until you reach the land of the hairy barbarians. He's talking about the land of Kem, because we know this, because the more we read, we find out it's called the land of Kem, where we find ancient Egypt, before it was called Egypt. Okay? Dwelling in the caves of the desert, follow there the plan that ye know of. Gathered I then, felt the saying, gathered I then my people, and entered into the great ship of the master. He's gotten into a, a mothership. Upward we rose in the morning. So he rose into the sky. Upward we rose into the morning. Dark beneath us lay the temple. So as they were rising up, the temple began to fade away from underneath them. Suddenly over it rose the waters, vanished from the earth. In other words, that's the atmosphere. Now he's out, now he's out in space. Until the time appointed was the great temple. So they're traveling. They get to the temple location according to their coordinates. So they probably plugged into their system. Fast we fled toward the sun of the morning until beneath us lay the land of the children of Kem. So beneath them, so they're coming down from space or coming down from the sky down as they're looking beneath them, they see the children of Kem. Raging, they came with cudgels and spears, lifted in anger, seeking to slay and utterly destroy the sons of Atlantis. So they, when they landed this ship and opened the door, these people came and tried to attack them, probably just to protect their, you know, their, 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 their home, their homeland, where they live. They just want to, you know, this is this is like their territory. This is where we live, man. We don't know what you are, who you are, but you're going to get some smoke. And then, you know, Thoth says, uh, he said, I raised my staff and directed a ray of vibration, striking them still in their tracks as fragments of stone in the mountains. So he hit them with his stun gun and they stopped. Then I spoke to them in words calm and peaceful, telling them of the might of Atlantis, saying that we were children of the sun and its messengers. And he cowed them. By his display of magic science. In other words, he made them, he humbled them by showing them his technology. <clears throat> uh, until they, at my feet, they groveled. When I released them, long dwelt we in the land of Kem. Long and yet long again. So 
hundreds, maybe even thousands of years go by until obeying the commands of the master, until he trains them in his arts. Now, according to the ancient Egyptians, to add credence to what he's saying here, Thoth ruled over the land of uh, Cam before uh, Egypt uh, for 14,000 years, according to the Egyptians. Not according to Billy Carson, according to the Egyptians. Until obeying the commands of the master, while sleeping, yet he lives eternally. He's talking about Ea Enki in his rejuvenation chamber, his halls of Amenti, which I'm going to take people to in October. I'm going to take them to Enki's halls of Amenti, where his body used to rest and rejuvenate. rejuvenate. I sent for me the sons of Atlantis, sent them in many directions. This is the most important part of what I'm saying here. I sent from me the sons of Atlantis. These are the people he took with him, his crew. He sent them in many directions. This is he's spreading them out all over the planet. That from the womb of time, wisdom might rise again in her children, talking about the men, humans. So he's saying, okay, the crew he's got, I want you guys to go. You take uh, this part of Africa. You take that part of Mesoamerica. You take this part of the North America. You take this part of Canada. You take this part of Europe. You take this area of Asia and you guys set up shop and you duplicate exactly what we did here. These people went around the world doing this. And what's so important about this, let me stop sharing and come back, is this is how we began to get our races, okay? And what am I talking about? Let me tell you right now. Let me go back in here to my um, PowerPoint. So how do we get our races? Let's see here. Uh, Slideshow. So he's telling these people, this is my book here, Compendium of the Emerald Tab. It's still a bestseller and now in six countries. He's telling us the rulers spread out all over the earth, the rulers. So these are those people. They spread out all over the planet and created re and re-kickstarted civilizations and built civilizations all over the earth based on the same architectural floor plan design ideologies and everything else. That's why you see all these things copied everywhere you go on the planet from deep, deep antiquity. You're going to find the same building uh, building uh, techniques. You're going to find the same pyramids. You're going to find everything because it's all was coming from one main source, just with slightly, slightly different motif because everybody wants to put their artistic, artistic rendering on something, their little touch on it, right? But what happened? How do we get races of people? We got races of people because these people who spread out around the planet from Thoth, these Atlantean people, they... Um, they put a genetic marker on the people that they ruled over in that region. So the, the guy that went to go rule over the people in Asia, he put a genetic marker on them. They became Asian. He put a genetic marker on Europeans, various different types of Europeans. That whoever ruled over that big landmass probably was two or three at the, in that in that region. In Africa, uh, you know, they put a genetic marker on us. And, you know, so everywhere you go, you find that now, now, now post flood, post alluvial Africa, the, these, um, the re-kickstarting of civilization there, the people were already black. They didn't have to put a genetic mark on the black people. They were already black at the time. So my ancestors were already black. Now, the other races were were, were kind of, um, you know, branded like you brand a cow. Right. So in the indigenous Americas, they were branded. Now, the people who ruled, ruled over them looked just like them. So they gave them a genetic marker that gave them the likeness of the person that was ruling over them because the people that were ruling over these regions all looked different. They all had different faces, different skin, different everything. 
And so we know that the blacks were there before because the Sumerian tablet calls them the blackface people. They were there prior to the flood. And so, but the other races were all, uh, uh, you know, marked. They were all marked. And what does this mean? Geneticists found these differences. Now, about 10, 12 years ago when I was researching this, it was only 2%. Because of genetics have gone so great now, so specific, geneticists found that the majority of genetic differences between humans is 85, 85.4%. Were, were found, 85.4% uh, were found within a population. 8.3% were found between populations within a race, okay? So between races, in other words, between a black person, a Caucasian, an Asian, an indigenous uh, native, right, of the Americas, for example, you're going to find a Mongolian and South Asian and aboriginals and everything else. There's an 8.3% variance in the genetic code. Now, 8.3% is way higher than even 2% when I first learned about this about 10, 12 years ago. They got it now to a specific number, 8.3%. They really dug into this. In order for a person to be 8.3% different than you genetically, it would take multi-millions of years, maybe hundreds of millions of years of evolution, if you want to believe the Darwinianism method. Hundreds of millions of years for it to happen. Yet, Homo sapiens sapiens has only been here for 200,000 years, which is the time in the book of the uh, Epic of Atrahasis that I read to you 200,000 years ago when they were going to go to war against Enlil and Enki and they decided to, gene decided to genetically modify people and use the existing hominid and make them the worker bee. Okay? So it's aligning with the tablets this the, the the races are aligning with what goes on in the Emerald Tablets of Thoth. If you go into these ancient texts, you find out everything. 8.3% variance. That were all humans. We're still all humans. But to get a race variant, it requires 8.3% variation to create different races so that people's eyes go up, people's eyes go down. They slant one way. They don't slant this way. The skin color is this way. This amount of melanin versus this amount of melanin. This skin tone versus this skin tone. This bone structure versus this bone structure, all right? This kind of hair versus this kind of hair, 8.3%. Hundreds of millions of years required to get that kind of genetic variance. It was done on purpose by genetic mutation. This bypasses and debunks the entire Darwinian concept idea uh, that monkeys gradually turned into upright walking humans. Doesn't exist, okay? Doesn't exist. So I'm going to stop sharing and come back for a second. And uh, we're going to work on wrapping this up. Thank you for the donation, uh, DJ Quicko. Again, I, I appreciate that. All, all the chat donations go to underprivileged children. So Darwinianism, the Darwin theory is a bunch of garbage, a bunch of hoopla. Guy just looked around and saw birds that had similar beaks and saw, you know, different cousins of different animals in different parts of the world when he traveled the world. And he said to himself, oh, yeah, this is what happened. Yeah, and they did just morphed into these things. I'm going to say this one thing and I'm going to wrap up. A scientist took a flask and in that flask, it was made of glass. He vacuumed it and sealed it. Boom, vacuum sealed it. He put it up on the shelf, came back a couple days later, took that flask and he analyzed the emptiness of it under an electron microscope. Guess what he found inside that flask? Fully formed life forms microscopic, fully formed, fully shaped, 
which proves that life is emanating from from the flower of life, where the, where the circles crisscross, the vesica pisces, that's the womb of life. Life is emanating into this dimension in real time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, nonstop. Fully formed life. Not, we've got to turn into this and turn. Now, evolution does exist on the, uh, the macro form, macro evolution, making minor adjustments and changes to your environment over time. That exists. That is true. That is so true. That's We can track that even in human DNA. Okay? I can't stand the cold. I can't handle no cold. I can't. My AC is on 77 degrees right now. If it drops to 76, I'm freezing. I'm freezing. I can't stand the cold. I love 100, 120 degree heat. I love it. When I go to Africa, it's 120. I'm in heaven. All right? Where somebody else, it might suffocate. They might have a heat stroke and die. Macro evolution is real. All right? However, um, you know, we're talking about Evolution on a grand scale. I'm sorry, micro, micro evolution. Micro evolution is real, but macro evolution is not real. I'm sorry, I need to reverse my words. Micro evolution is real, but macro evolution, in other words, on a grand scale, macro, it doesn't exist. It doesn't. I'm not going to continue to walk around this earth for another 100 million years and then turn into something else. Okay? It's just not going to happen. Now, if I end up being coming, if I end up living in an area where there's a region where there's a lot of um, darkness or the sun becomes dim mysteriously for a thousand years, five generations from now, my offspring may have bigger eyes so they can bring in more light. Stuff like that happens. But for, uh, for, for, for the Darwinian concept of evolution, it's fake. OK, it's fake. So, hey, guys, thanks for hanging out tonight. I really be, I really appreciate it. Um, I'm going to run this real quick here. I'm going to share my screen one last time and run this last thing before we get out of here. It's really important. I want to thank everyone for joining and spending some time with me tonight. And uh, got a lot of great things going on in Forbidden Knowledge. I'm really, really excited about a lot of the opportunities and a lot of the changes that are coming, a lot of the new productions that are underway right now. And uh, a lot of the we're also working on movies, animated series and everything else. So just check this out real quick, guys. Hey, everyone, my name is Billy Carson, a.k.a. Forbidden Knowledge to customize for Forbidden Knowledge Inc. is an amazing company. I'm not saying that just because I'm the president. I'm telling you that because I have so many testimonials of people in my inbox, in my emails, and also people that come up to me in person all over the world and tell me how Forbidden Knowledge has changed their life. They literally see the world in a much different way, and they see themselves in a different way as well. We specialize in amazing content that's based on ancient civilizations esoteric wisdom, spirituality, health and wellness, mental health, healthy cooking, financial literacy, yoga, and much, much more. That's just the tip of the iceberg. We have also created sub-programs underneath Forbidden Knowledge that allow us to engage our client base and our subscriber base in a way that it feeds all the different legs of the businesses. For example, we have the online streaming platform, but we also have the music platform. And we have music that is now being been in distribution globally for over three years. We even hit Billboard in 2018 uh, in four categories for eight weeks. 
Go figure, right? We also have a social media platform, which is a privately owned by Forbidden Knowledge social media platform that allows people to get on there and engage in content about the TV network, about the shows, as well as post content based on whatever they want to post. And we don't have any crazy kooky algorithms or suppression tactics to keep them from saying what they feel. They're allowed to go in there and post information that's relevant to themselves and also to the world. We also have our book publishing company underneath Forbidden Knowledge, Inc. And with the book publishing, we actually have three bestsellers right now. Two of them are mine, Compendium of the Emerald Tablets, and the second book, Woke Doesn't Mean Broke, which is a financial literacy book. The third book is The Recipe to Elevated Consciousness by Elizabeth Hookstra. And so that's another self-help book. We have a fourth book right now on our publishing uh, platform. It's a Manifest Destiny journal, and we just signed two new authors to book deals as well. So we're expanding in the area of books and uh, content that can be read. And we're also looking into possibly doing ebooks and audiobooks as well. Uh, don't forget, I'm a public figure. So a lot of my public appearances are paid appearances. And a lot of that revenue goes directly back into Forbidden Knowledge, as well as my TV appearances. I've been on now the Travel Channel, the History Channel, the Science Channel, Discovery Channel, Discovery Plus. Uh, Gaia TV, as well as now, of course, <laughs> Forbidden Knowledge TV. So I've been on a lot of shows over the last, I say, 10 years. I've now been in well over 300 shows. A lot of them I've, I've been considered an expert host on a lot of these shows and now producing my own TV shows, documentaries and exclusive TV content for myself and the Forbidden Knowledge TV network. We kind of really specialize in positive, uplifting content that help truth seekers uh, get the knowledge that they're looking for, as well as provide a an environment to where they can voice their opinions and help them feel enlightened and empowered. We don't want people to walk away feeling downtrodden and beat down like the, a lot of the mainstream channels do. When you walk away from those networks, you feel fear, anguish, uh, you feel depressed, you know, you, you get PTSD, and a lot of people, their cortisol levels spike. This is a real scientific thing. They just check people. You know, after watching the news for just 30 minutes, their cortisol levels spike. Their nervous system goes crazy. We want to provide a calming effect to people. We want to prov provide a place where people can go and they can calm themselves down. They can feel enlightened. They can feel empowered when they walk away for the day of watching Forbidden Knowledge TV. We are worldwide right now, currently streaming all over the world and doing phenomenal. There's actually a feature coming out with me in Forbes, Africa. Because I just left Africa a few months ago doing an exclusive uh, show that we're filming about Egypt and the Egyptian pyramids. And it's going to be an amazing, uh, amazing series coming up very, very soon to Forbidden Knowledge TV. They're also very excited in Africa about my Egyptian Mystery School, which is the number one viewed series on Forbidden Knowledge TV with over 40 episodes right now currently streaming. And so little things like that is letting us know that we're doing great things all over this planet. I've also been featured in Forbes India, another huge uh, you know, market <laughs> that just took me by surprise. A lot of people in India are watching and, and tuning into Forbidden Knowledge TV as well. Now, what used to be considered to be niche content or niche information just five or 10 years ago is actually the opposite now. Seeing as though I'm right now streaming me personally on Three travel channel shows, two Discovery Channel shows, one Discovery Plus show, and one Science Channel show, all talking about the exact same topics 
that are currently streaming on Forbidden Knowledge TV. That's mainstream level TV at the highest level. And here we go. Boom. It's on Forbidden Knowledge TV. So those topics are not niche anymore. It's not taboo anymore. It's not woo-woo anymore. People are actually looking for these things. And these mainstream TV platforms wouldn't be streaming the content that they've got me hosting if their people, the viewers, didn't want it. Okay? So the idea that it might be niche, just throw it out of the window because that's actually an old concept. This is the way in the direction that new streaming TV is moving. It's moving in the direction of peace, tranquility, enlightenment, understanding, knowledge, history, teaching, real, true, pure education, and leave the viewer walking away feeling full and satisfied. So Forbidden Knowledge TV agenda is to really uh, create awareness. And the awareness that we want to create is we want to create the awareness of helping people worldwide and teaching them how to have unconditional love for one another. Because that's truly the only way for mankind to experience any level of global freedom. Now, why would you want to invest in forbidden knowledge? Well, it's an amazing opportunity. It's ground floor. I know we've all heard of the, you know, uh, the time when Microsoft was in the garage, when Amazon was out of working out of the garage, when Apple was working out of the garage. Well, we were a little bit further than they were in terms of the business. I mean, we've been set up and running since 2017. We've actually been doing very well with the streaming TV platform for the last two years. And now we're moving into this phase where we've been raising some capital, reinvesting the capital back into high quality documentaries, movies, miniseries, uh, TV shows and marketing for the platform. So we're moving in the right trajectory, the right direction. And it's a great opportunity for people to get involved with something that's on a positive wave, a positive content wave of the future. Our social media has been exploding with over 140 social media accounts across all platforms. We have 4.5 million followers across all platforms. That's incredible. All of our accounts have been verified on every major social media platform that exists. Every single one. We have two verified Twitter accounts, a verified TikTok account, three verified uh, Facebook accounts. Two verified Instagram accounts. We're verified pretty much on everything. A verified fan base, a verified triller. We're all over the place. Verified even only fans where we go in there and drop knowledge for free. And so we've acquired this huge following base that is highly interested in the, in the information that we're putting out. And we're converting those people into subscribers of the TV platform. So we have this built in reservoir of people that are going to become subscribers and are becoming subscribers every single day. And we know that with uh, an investment into our business, that is going to take us to the next level. For every $100,000 that we put in, we see at least a 25 to 35% return on the actual investment. And if we can get ourselves to 100,000 subscribers by this time next year, which we know is 1,000% possible, we're talking about creating a business that's bringing in almost a billion dollars a month in revenue just from the streaming platform alone. So again... Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for listening. Please find out more on ForbiddenKnowledge.com. Thank you for hanging out tonight. I appreciate y'all. 
It's been a great night. Sorry for the technical glitch. I don't know what happened. Some kind of weird power outage or something. Everything went down all at once, but it came back, thankfully. And uh, we see quite a few people still hung out, hung out, even through that little blackout we had. <laughs> but hey, you guys are still here. Appreciate you. Um, got a lot of great stuff going on. We're going to probably come on tomorrow uh, and do a forbidden updates right before the Biohack Your Best Life podcast. And then I'll be on again uh, Saturday and Sunday. Uh, it's going to be amazing. Going to be having a, a, a great time just bringing a lot of this information. Uh, I've, now I'm going to be committed to doing Q&As uh, at least two times a week on Instagram lives and also coming here on YouTube and doing some Q&As as well. Just so I can interact with you guys. And uh, and I know a lot of people have a lot of questions. I know I still I won't be able to get to all the questions, but I'm going to work that out. I'm running a little bit behind tonight. Uh, because I have another project I have to get on. I didn't realize it was already 9.24. Wow, it's been an hour and a half almost already. But when I come back on again uh, this weekend, I'm going to do some Q. I'm going to do some Q&As with you guys on here on, on a YouTube Live, as well as a few I'll do on Instagram Live. I'm working on getting the, uh, doing, being, being able to do the Q&As on my Unite the 99 as well. I'm working on getting that set up so I can do Q&As over there also. All right. Anyway, we appreciate you guys. Uh, don't forget, the round two shares are almost over. So if you haven't invested in forbidden knowledge and you're saying, I want to, you know, shares are only $1.50 and I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. The more you wait, the more you deliberate, the, the, clo- the, the closer you get to not being able to get them for $1.50 anymore because round two is closing very soon. All this information is publicly available. It's not like I'm making it up. You can look up, look up the offering statement, the time frame, the deadlines, and all that stuff is on. Uh, the platform. So I'm going to type it in here again, again, one more time for you guys. Okay. Bid and shares. Uh, limited, limited offer. Want to earn and learn at the same time. Take advantage of this guys. Don't miss out on the opportunity. Remember when Microsoft was in the garage, Apple was in the garage. Uh, Amazon was in the garage and, uh, and now they're, <laughs> they're big companies. Well, Forbidden Knowledge is going to become a very massive multimedia uh, company, and we will be, one, you know, an amazing large streaming TV platform, one of the largest in our category of of, uh, of uh, content. And so, we're really excited about it. It's a bright future, and we want to take you guys with us. All right. So, we appreciate you guys. Have a fantastic night. I got more work to do. All right. I'll be back. Peace. This is Billy Carson with ForbiddenKnowledge.tv. Forbidden Knowledge TV has just reached its one-year anniversary. That's right, one year. And as a show of appreciation, we are giving all new subscribers a free 30-day trial of ForbiddenKnowledge.tv. That's 30 days to binge watch thousands of movies, documentaries, conferences, workshops, lectures, yoga classes, meditation courses, and so much more. So log on to ForbiddenKnowledge.tv from your computer or mobile device or get the Forbidden Knowledge TV app on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon, iTunes, or Google Play today and use coupon code 30 days free. That's coupon code 30 days free on ForbiddenKnowledge.tv today.